0: All right, well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Fuel. Fuel is Rock Church's midweek Bible study. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Rock Church. And tonight we pick up our study in Revelation. And we're gonna be covering chapter 11. And it's gonna be good. It's gonna be very rich. And what I'm excited about is that this is a chapter that is mysterious and sometimes hard to be understood. And so my main goal hopefully, is to make it plain as we go through it, and also for it to be edifying to you as well. So let's go ahead. We're going to be covering Chapter 11 in its entirety tonight. And to give you the big picture, Chapter 11 covers two major topics. That's really what we're about tonight, two major topics. The first one is the two witnesses. And the second is the seventh trumpet. And we're going to start with the two witnesses. Now, remember, I said last time we are in a section where people tend to get lost, right? And this chapter is one of the reasons why. People are not sure where it fits. And so they're not sure what to do with it. So let's go ahead and discuss where it fits first. Because I believe we can see where it fits. It makes it all make sense. And then we'll dig into the text. So, since Jesus began breaking the seals on the scroll back in chapter 6, we've been following the events. They've been basically in chronological order. Seal 1 was the beginning of the seven-year period, and seals 6 and 7 were right around the midpoint of the tribulation. That's the time when, if you remember, things go from bad to worse. So much so that some teachers call the first three and a half years the tribulation and the second half the great tribulation. And from the evidence we have in various parts of the Bible, it's at the halfway point that the watershed event known as the abomination of desolation takes place. And it's at that time that the Antichrist is revealed to be who he really is. Up until this point, he's deceiving the world. But he sits in the temple of God and claims to be God. That's how you know it's him. But that's all we said about the Antichrist at the time because we're going to be going into depth, into detail, about him in later chapters. But the seven seals map to the first half of the tribulation. That's the first thing we need to understand. And then after that came the trumpets. And the trumpets cover the majority of the second half of the tribulation. So I said last time when we heard the blast of the sixth trumpet, we were almost all the way at the end, chronologically speaking, of the seven-year period. I would say, just to give you a visual, that when the sixth trumpet blows, we are in the seventh year with barely any time left. Now, after the sixth trumpet, we're going to hit the pause button, okay? And we're going to go back to the beginning of the tribulation. That's what we're doing tonight. We're going to hit the pause button because we're at the very end of the tribulation with the sixth trumpet. And then we're going to go back now, and we're going to fill in some blanks. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the tribulation. This is why people get lost. They don't realize that there's a pause here, and so they don't know that they're going back to the beginning to fill in those details. You see, there are some things that were happening on the earth that we didn't know about while the seals were being broken and while the trumpets were sounding. Think about it like uh, if you were watching a show and all of a sudden the character has a flashback to a previous time. The director has more information he wants to give the audience and he does it with a flashback. In this case, the Holy Spirit has more information he wants to give us. Okay? So from here on out, we're going to be filling in a lot of blanks. And this particular blank that we're going to be filling in involves these two mysterious characters the two witnesses you may have done an in-depth study on these guys before or you might know not know anything about them but we're going to be looking at their careers their three and a half year career tonight so if you have your bibles turn to revelation chapter 11 starting with verse 1 john says then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff and someone said Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out, that's important, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth and the two these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth and if anyone wants to harm them fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies so if anyone wants to harm them he must be killed in this way These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. There's your clue right there. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Okay, let's break this down to try and get a handle on what exactly is going on here and why. First, we notice that John is given a measuring rod like a staff. And somebody tells him to go up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Then he is told not to measure the court, which is outside the temple. Why? Because it is given to the nations or the Gentiles. And then we're given one more detail. They, the nations or the Gentiles, are going to tread underfoot the holy city for 32 months. So first off, who was speaking to John and why was he told to measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it? And why was he told not to measure the court outside the temple? What's happening here is that the measuring of the temple signifies God's ownership of it. We're being shown what belongs to God and what at this current time is not willingly under his ownership. The temple, the altar, and the people worshiping there, remember we're at the beginning of the tribulation, they all belong to God. However, the court outside is given to the nations and they will trample the holy city underfoot for 42 months. If you're familiar with the design of the temple in the Old Testament, there was known as what is the court of the Gentiles, for those who weren't naturally born of the Jewish race but wanted to seek the God of Israel. For those folks, a place was made for them. And it's interesting to note that it was in the court of the Gentiles that Jesus drove out the money changers, just to give you the visual. The fact that John is told not to measure it signifies that God at this time, doesn't claim it as his. God would have claimed these folks, but they were not willing. Again, this is the beginning of the tribulation. We are still in the age of free will. Mankind has been given free will. And so this, these folks, these Gentiles, were not willing. So the interpretation here is that these are the Gentiles who reject the true God. Now, notice in our lifetime, we're witnessing a strong push to take Jerusalem out of the hands of the Jewish people. If you remember, during Bill Clinton's presidency, there was almost a peace deal between Israel and the Palestinians. But if you remember, Yasser Arafat walked away from the negotiating negotiating table. Why? Because he would not accept a peace accord that did not give the Palestinians Jerusalem for their capital. Now, Jerusalem for the time being, is still owned by and part of Israel. And that's why it was such a big deal when President Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That was a statement saying that that city belongs to Israel and not the Palestinians, okay? That's why that caused such an uproar. But for the time being, Jerusalem is still owned by and part of Israel. But this passage tells us that there will be a time right at the beginning of the tribulation that even though the Jewish people will be allowed to worship at a yet-to-be-built temple, Jerusalem will belong to the Gentiles. That's stunning when you look at current events and then look at this. It really does fit perfectly in the direction that we see history heading. Now, how will that happen? The Bible says that the Antichrist will broker a peace deal between the Jews and their enemies. Daniel 9.27 gives us the play by play. It reads, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, it's the middle of the three and a half years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, it looks like the deal that he brokers gives the Jews their much-longed-for temple, but puts Jerusalem in the hands of the Gentiles. Now, to reinforce the visual of where we're at. After the sixth trumpet, the pause button was hit, okay? And now we're sent back to the beginning of the tribulation. And the scene is Jerusalem belonging to the Gentiles, but the temple and the altar are in place, and there are Jewish people worshiping there. Now look at this. Because Jerusalem is under control of the Gentiles, God says he is going to grant authority to his two witnesses. Notice, no matter what's going on in the world, God is never without his witnesses, without his voice in the world. And these witnesses are going to prophesy 1,260 days. How long is that? Using a lunar calendar, which is what the original Hebrew calendar was based on, this makes the time period 42 months or three and a half years. Also important to note, when we say three and a half years, it is based off of that same calendar, which brings it to a 354-day year as opposed to our 365-day year. The calendar we use is called the Gregorian calendar, and it's a solar calendar. So if you're wondering, there seems to be a discrepancy there. That accounts for the difference. We're talking about two different calendars. So that's the difference in length. Now... The bottom line, though, is that these two witnesses come on the scene right at the beginning of the tribulation, and they testify to the world about Jesus, and they do so for three and a half years. Now, we need to answer the question, who are these two witnesses? First off, there's a ton of ex, uh, speculation about these two, and, and notice the key word, speculation. So let's first talk about what we know for sure about them, and then let's talk about the various theories regarding their identity. First off, we know they're going to be given authority by God himself to be his witnesses. Then we notice that they will prophesy for 1,260 days. We also know that they'll be clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth denotes mourning, and these two are mourning over the state of the world, which at this time is primarily now a God-rejecting, anti-Christ-accepting mankind. Since this is the beginning of the tribulation, we believe there are still many who are going to choose for God. But the climate of the world, and we can even see our world uh, definitely tilting in that direction, the climate has now fully changed to an anti-Christian one. Also notice these two witnesses are called the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Olive trees and lampstands have one thing in common, and that's they produce olive oil, right? Olive oil comes from the olive tree and is burned by the lampstand to produce light. And that oil, every time you see oil in scripture, especially in the New Testament, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. So what that's telling us is that these two witnesses are mightily empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify about Christ. And the quick takeaway is, just like these two witnesses need the Holy Spirit in order for them to represent Christ, so do we. We need power. Amen? Next we see that they have enemies that want to harm them. But when they attack them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. They're protected, okay? They are also given supernatural power so that they can shut up the sky and cause a drought. They can also turn the waters to blood and they can strike the earth with every plague. Now, Some of what we saw during the breaking of the first six seals directly map to these witnesses. We see the seals being broken in heaven, but we, we saw those horsemen riding. Now we're also seeing how the witnesses on earth are participating. And so all of those things working in unity to show us what's actually happening on the earth and how it's coming to pass. Now. At the end of that first three and a half years, it says that the beast that comes up out of the abyss, which is a reference to the Antichrist, he will do what nobody else could do. It says that he will overcome these two witnesses and he will kill them. And then there's going to be a party, believe it or not. Their dead bodies are going to lie in the street there in Jerusalem, and the people will not allow them to be buried. In some ways, it's going to be like Christmas. In the sense that the people on earth are going to give presents to each other. They're going to celebrate. They're going to rejoice. They're going to give gifts to one another. Why? Because they hate these guys big time. Because these guys are witnessing to them about the consequences of their rejection of Christ. And really their acceptance of the enemy, of their souls, the devil. And they don't even know it. But... They don't want to hear that, and so as these uh, witnesses witness, they want them killed, but they're unstoppable for that first three and a half years. So when this beast, which is the Antichrist, comes out and overcomes them, they're going to be ecstatic because they hate these guys big time, but they don't get the last word. Right. God always gets the last word. And in a crazy and dramatic turn of events, while the celebration is still going on, three and a half days into it, the breath of life from God will go back into their bodies and they will stand on their feet. In other words, they will be resurrected and it will be witnessed globally. While everybody is watching, probably via the internet, cable news, apps on their phone, whatever other media is available at the time, but everybody's going to see it. And as they're watching, as they're having this celebration, all of a sudden, there will be a loud voice from heaven that will say, come up here. And if that sounds familiar, that's exactly what God told John in chapter 4. That's what he's going to tell the church when we go up to meet him in the air. Come up here, right? And as these people are watching, these two witnesses come to life, stand on their feet, and go up to heaven. Just like Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1, they go up to heaven in a cloud. So those are the facts. Now... Based on those facts, Bible scholars have speculated as to the identity of these two witnesses. And this is really interesting, the conclusions that Bible teachers and scholars have come up with over the years. Probably the most common um, interpretation of this passage where they interpret the identities of these two witnesses is that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah, And you can see why they come to that conclusion. The drought, the striking of the water, so it turns to blood, plagues hitting the earth. That sounds a lot like Elijah and Moses. Also, remember, Elijah never died. And Moses' place of burial was kept a secret. Also, Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels. So when people look at those points, they think... These two very well could be Moses and Elijah. But some others reject Moses. They still think it's Elijah, but they reject Moses because he died. So they think these two are Elijah and Enoch. Elijah for the reasons we already spoke of. And Enoch is cited for two reasons. The first is because he never died. Remember, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Because God took him. Remember that account in Genesis. Enoch is considered the first person to be raptured. And Elijah the second. So those two never tasted death. Now here's another very circumstantial book. And I don't think it it, it, um, supports their claim. But they do use this to support their claim. And they use a book called The Gospel of Nicodemus. That says that both Enoch and Elijah are the two witnesses. Only problem with that is the book was written in the 4th century, and it's definitely not considered to be scripture. Another view on this comes from J. Vernon McGee. He likes Elijah and John the Baptist, reason being one representing the Old and one representing the New Covenant. Also, there's an interesting passage in Zechariah 4 that talks about A lampstand and two olive trees seems to map directly to this. And it gives the identities of the two olive trees as the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Again, another reference to the Holy Spirit. They're going to be anointed, but it doesn't give their names. In verse 6, though, of that same chapter, Zechariah chapter 4, it does have this interesting and very famous statement. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Again, this tells us that the labor we do for the Lord has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, all these are interesting theories, but there's one more theory that's a very good one as well, and it's this. These two witnesses could be none of the above. They could be two unknown people whom God raises up in that day for that particular ministry. So this is interesting to speculate on, but the identities, they're not really necessary to understand what's going on here. Because if they were, God would tell us. But what's important is for us to know that this is taking place now. This scene closes with these Two witnesses being taken up to heaven and their enemies gaping at them in tremendous fear. And then right after they're gone, there is this huge earthquake in Jerusalem. 7,000 are killed. And I believe, again, if you go back and look at the seals being broken, I believe you can see clearly how all this maps together because right at the end of the three and a half years when they're taken up into heaven there's this earthquake that's exactly when the earthquake occurs with the breaking of the sixth seal in chapter 6 so I believe that this earthquake maps to that global earthquake that we saw when that sixth seal was broken but both show us how we are right now at the midpoint of the tribulation now remember we have hit the pause button because when we started the lesson, we were at the end of the seven years. We hit the pause button. We went back to the beginning of the seven years. Now, we hit, we've hit that pause button. We filled in the details about the two witnesses during the first half of the tribula- uh, tribulation. Now, we're going to hit play again, and we're going to fast forward back where we left off, back where we hit pause back at the very end of the tribulation. Verse 14 takes us there with this statement. It says, the second woe is past. Remember, the second woe is the sixth trumpet. So the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So second woe, sixth trumpet. The third woe is going to be the seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet is going to unleash the final set of judgments, the seven bowl judgments. So we've pushed play and we are now back at the end of the tribulation and the sounding of the seventh angel blowing that seventh trumpet. Let's pick up there starting in verse 15 of chapter 11. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great and to destroy those who destroy the earth and the temple of God, which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. All right, so here we have it. The seventh trumpet makes it official. The kingdom of the world will now become at this time the kingdom of God. You see, we've known that this time was coming. We've known that it was coming from the very beginning of this book because we said that that is one of the major themes of this book the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of our God and of his Christ but we've really known that this time was coming uh rapid fire once Jesus broke that first seal in chapter 6 once Jesus breaks the seal everything now falls like dominoes and now with the sounding of this trumpet the transfer of power is initialized You see, right now, there are two separate kingdoms in operation simultaneously in the world that you and I live in. Right now, we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world system both operating simultaneously. Another way to think about it is like this. Human history, spiritually speaking, has always been a tale of two cities, two spiritual cities, spiritual Babylon and spiritual New Jerusalem. Spiritual Babylon is the city that opposes the rule and reign of God. And spiritual New Jerusalem is the city that you and I, if we've put our trust in Christ alone for salvation, that is where we have our citizenship. When we come to Christ, we were literally, Colossians tells us this, literally translated out of the devil's kingdom, out of spiritual Babylon, out of that kingdom of darkness, and into God's kingdom, into spiritual New Jerusalem. And as children of God, right now, we are learning about and living the kingdom of God now. And as citizens of it, we operate in the laws it operates by. That's why sometimes we are in such a great conflict with the world because we're operating by the laws and principles of a different kingdom. And so when we do this, we go against the flow of the kingdom of the world, which is diametrically opposed to the works and ways of God. And so we find ourselves at odds with our fellow human beings. This is normal because we're working from two different systems. That's why it's so important that we communicate the truth in love because love is universal in both kingdoms. Both kingdoms can understand love. Amen. And so even though we're at odds because we have a different worldview based on our citizenship in heaven and based on the word of God, we can still communicate that truth with love, in a way that people understand. And that's very important that we take the time to do that. Because if not, it makes no sense to them. Amen? But the time is going to come when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the seventh trumpet is heralding this event. In effect, when we see the seventh trumpet sound, we are seeing part of the fulfillment of the part of the Lord's prayer that says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if you pray the Lord's prayer you are praying for this event you are praying for the sounding of the seventh trumpet you see we've got one more set of judgments after this like I talked about that those seven bowl judgments but listen those are going to be rapid fire they're going to be the final judgment And they're going to be one right after another. And they're going to be at the very end of the end of the seven years. They're not going to be drawn out over a long period of time. Okay, So when we get to the seventh trumpet, you can really uh, know and understand that the time has finally come for this transfer of power. Now, just a couple of things left to close off this chapter. Notice it says that The great voices in heaven follow the blowing of the seventh trumpet. J. Vernon McGee makes an interesting observation. He says, if you remember, at the opening of the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. The contrast should be noted because here the blowing of the seventh trumpet reveals God's program and clears up the mystery of God. All of God's created intelligences can see the end now and are jubilant in anticipation of the termination of evil being so close at hand. It is a time of joy for them. Next notice, it says that the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign now don't miss this the fact that this is really finally happening causes the church in heaven to fall down on their faces and worship god the second coming is finally about to happen like i said earlier this will be the answer to our prayer thy kingdom come They will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Listen. Why is is all this rejoicing going on? Don't miss the main reason. The termination of evil is at hand. We look at the tribulation and sometimes it does cause um, some tumult in us. It's it's tumultuous times. And so it can stir stir up that tumult in us. But uh, just remember this. Number one. God has you in his hand, and he's not going to let you go. That's number one. And number two, understand that the termination of evil is imminent. There's going to be no more of the vile hatred and the killing and all the uh, rage and hate that has been the trademark of humanity for his brief time on this planet. All of that is coming to an end. Can you imagine a time where you don't even ever have one more minute of suffering? Suffering was never to be part of the human experience. It's all a result of the fall. There's coming a day and we may be right on the precipice of that day where all of that is going to become a memory and then a distant memory now let's continue to unpack what's going on here it says that the nations were enraged that tells us that man is going to shake his fist at god right up until the very end paul in romans 8 chapter 7 tells us that the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards god For it does not subject itself to the law of God. Why? For it is not even able to do so. There's a thought out there that mankind is getting better and better. And that we will somehow evolve into a totally peaceful and loving race. But the truth of the matter is, as we get closer and closer to the end, mankind will show himself on a grander scale than at any time previous to be a fallen race. And so that's going to be a good place for us to call it tonight. As I finish off tonight, I want to just leave you with the main takeaways. We get three main takeaways from the two witnesses and one from the seventh trumpet. But we can learn a lot from both of these events. The first thing we learn from the two witnesses is that we learn that God has our back when we serve him. We also learn that God refuses to be without a witness of himself. He wants people to hear the good news and he wants them to have a chance to respond. Our assignment in life and your assignment in life has something to do with that assignment of letting people know how much Jesus loves them and how far God went to purchase them back to himself. And the main thing I think you you and I learn from these two witnesses is that we need the Holy Spirit to be able to minister effectively. Amen? The two lampstands and the two olive trees represent the Holy Spirit. And we should cultivate our relationship with the Holy Spirit as well. If we want to represent Him well, that is. And the only way we can do that is by spending time with Him. Spending time seeking God and asking Him to fill us afresh daily. Pastor T.D. Jakes uh, said it like this. There is no public anointing without private consecration. In other words, if you want a anointing in the public sphere, if you want to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit when you minister to others and you witness to others, that's going to be a direct reflection of what your private devotional life is. With God. Don't neglect one for the other. Amen. So that's three takeaways from the two witnesses. Now, the key takeaway from the seventh trumpet is this, and we really spent some time on this. There's coming a day when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. Everything you're doing for God matters. When you love people, it matters. When you pray for somebody, it matters. When you deny your own comfort to help somebody, it matters. We may not see the full fruit of our labor this side of heaven, but the day is going to come when we will no longer see through a glass darkly, but we will see things as they really are. And in that day, it will all come to light. And in that day, it will all be worth it. Let me encourage you. That's the day we want to be living for. Amen. Let me encourage you. Everything that you're going through now, especially for the sake of the gospel, because you've decided that you're going to follow Christ no matter what. Let me tell you, don't get discouraged. Stand strong. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your eyes because your redemption is drawing near. I don't know where we're at exactly on God's calendar. But when you look at scripture and you look at the world, we could be getting very, very close. This is no time to pull back. Amen. This is no time to get complacent or lazy. This is the time to start pressing into God like never before. And then we'll see him face to face and it'll all be worth it amen amen well that's all I have for tonight is has as always been a pleasure uh, sharing this with you I also want to make you aware how far we are we just completed chapter 11 now that's only halfway uh, through uh, this great book chapter wise but we're way further along than that actually this is our 17th session we have seven more sessions that cover the word and then i'm doing one bonus session on artificial intelligence because i think it's very relevant i was going to do that this week but i'm still putting that uh lesson together but we're very close now we we've got eight sessions left so over the next eight weeks we will complete this great book and so my goal was to finish it before this year ended and we're still on track. So, congratulations if you've been with us this whole time. If you haven't been with us, all of these uh, studies are available. I encourage you to go to my YouTube channel. Go out to Rock Church's Facebook page. And also, uh, I'm going to include a link in, uh, in, in the body of this um, post. I have now released um, Fuel via podcast. So... It's on Spotify. It's on Google Play. I'm on seven or eight different platforms podcast-wise as well. So you can take these studies with you on walks and things like that and not have to worry about having the video. You can just have the audio. So anyway, that's all I have for you. I pray that God will continue to bless you as you continue to live for him. And I hope you guys have a great day. I'll see you next time.